0: Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So, hey Sam, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Tara. Thanks.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: I, you're calling in from, um, D.C., so I can't say welcome, you know, thanks for coming down the way I do with everybody who physically comes (laughs) here.
1: (laughs) No, I'm sorry I can't make it, but I'm uh, glad to be on the phone with you.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked about this in a place that is near and dear to both of our hearts called Fosdals, um, and, um, I, I think that's interesting because you grew up in the town that I live in, and we, we met at the... At the Great Norwegian Bakery over donuts, to, <laughs> of course. I was
1: I was weaned on those donuts. Weaned on a Saturday on or Sunday morning, knew it was a treat when uh, Mom made the run uh, down to the bakery and came back uh, that morning with uh, donuts from Povstol. So it was, it's still producing some of the best donuts I know.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Those donuts are amazing. And Stoughton is an amazing town, and um, you've gone on to have a a wonderful career in rural development, which is what I'm excited to talk to you about, and my suspicion is that your interest in that um, began by growing up in a town like Stoughton.
1: Yeah, you know what, it was, uh, Madison was always only 30 minutes away, but growing up, it really felt like a small town, and I think it still is, um, even though it's grown in size a little bit. When I was there, with was about 7,500 to 8,500 people. Um, but it's one of those towns where most kids growing up, even if you were in town and uh, didn't live out in the country, as we called it back then, uh, your job options as you were a kid were still uh, either detasseling corn or harvesting tobacco. And so I chose the latter in my first job. And so you really grew up knowing that you lived in a rural area, uh, and it at least in part shaped who you were.
0: Absolutely, and harvesting tobacco probably convinced you that you needed to go to college.
1: <laughs> you know what? Um, it maybe did that. It, it was great being able to be thirteen or fourteen year olds and have money in your pocket, though.
0: Oh yeah, uh, and
1: you were always you were out there as one of the younger kids, and you were uh, doing the work with everybody else. So uh, my uh, fond memories uh, on uh, Kenneth Quongland. Uh, uh, tobacco farm. It's brutal work, but but it is but it's actually not that bad.
0: Yeah, well and if you can do it when you're thirteen, that's a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so you grew up in a in in Stoughton and then um you um did you go to UW Madison? You know, I uh
1: headed away to college, but just up to the Twin Cities, the little school called McAllister College. Uh, Went to grad school somewhere in there, um, uh, and then went back. I came back to UW for law school.
0: Ah, okay, all right. And then you made your way to DC.
1: Ultimately, yeah. Um, I had a um, somewhere in between there. I'd spent a couple years in Zambia in the Peace Corps in a very rural Zambian uh, area, working with subsistence farmers. And so, uh, certainly, was different type of rural development that I've been working on for the past several years. Uh, but it showed the uh kind of gave some clues in different contexts of the value of being smart, even in rural Zambia about uh how you grew your food and what type of choices uh or the uh of crops you wanted to grow um, i uh after law school practiced uh, law for about five years with an antitrust firm that uh, really represented small businesses that were trying to claw their way into the market uh mm-hmm. or prevent them, them their their Ideas and work from being blocked by larger firms, and then, and then, really headed out to D.C. Uh, for the last four years of President Obama's administration. And there, got to work at USDA and helped lead, and then led uh, a little shop within the USDA, which is a larger government agency. But within USDA, was the administrator for USDA's Rural Business Cooperative Service, which um, has a few programs that are designed for and target at. Uh, farmers, but really is meant to spur and to support um, uh, a lot of other type of non-agriculture rural businesses.
0: Right, and I think that's one of the interesting things about about well about USDA and about rural communities in general is that I think people don't understand that USDA does get involved in rural development for things beyond agriculture.
1: Certainly, the um, uh, USDA founded, I think, uh, at the time when uh, most Americans were either farmers or um, were in agriculture in one way, shape, or form. And nowadays, uh, there's a lot of programs at USDA that are working with and supporting farmers. But it's important to recognize that if farmers and folks who are in agriculture don't have thriving uh, towns and other businesses um, uh, that support schools uh, and hospitals uh, and in other ways, then it's not a really great place to live. And so a big part of rural development at USDA is thinking about the uh, thriving prosperity and livability of those rural communities like Stoughton.
0: Right. So this is so timely for me because one of the things that I do in my role at the university is um, speak in in rural communities and they like to hear me talk because of my um, prior work w- um, starting Terra's Way mm-hmm. and that that project brought um, high-tech manufacturing jobs to r- a rural community in Wisconsin in the dairy industry and the dairy industry has really had a is really struggled over the past few years and and with it those small communities are struggling. So the last talk I gave, somebody raised her hand at the end and she said, I'm a farmer, um, older woman, and she said, our town is dying. What can what do you think we should do? And what's interesting to me about that is I'm a business person, I'm not an economic development person. Uh, but you could see the angst on her face, right, to see their community dying because the agricultural community is suffering.
1: Yeah, uh, it reminds me of one of the, when I uh, served the administrator uh, for the Rural Business Cooperative Service, one of the more nerve-wracking and scary things I had, but also one of the most uh, special tasks I had to do was head up to Capitol Hill in Washington and testify on behalf of the performance of those programs. And there's a Senator from Montana, Senator Tester, who is a uh, farmer himself, is a rancher. I grew up in a place called Big Sandy, Montana, where he has a farm uh, to this day. And he wasn't grilling me on the programs that we were trying to run responsibly, uh, but he made a comment that has stuck with me, which was uh, after thanking us for our work and we were able to present some of the numbers and what we were doing, he said, I know we're doing all this work, all this investment, but even though we're doing all this stuff um uh in my town um a couple years ago uh the grocery store closed mm-hmm. and uh the other the next year um the hardware store closed and then he said and just last year the last uh tavern in town closed and then in with some levity he said and you know things are going bad when uh, the last tavern's closed uh and it made me think and this is um uh bridging i think where we are today which is um for a long time, folks have looked at public dollars, the public investment, as the way that rural communities are supported. And I think that there's an important role and will remain an important role for public programs, federal government, state government. But tapping into uh, some of the private dollars that may not know about the opportunity in rural America, um, you know, so many folks having lived the last couple of years on the East Coast, uh, jokingly, but with some seriousness, um, talk about that flyover zone of that rural America. And there's such great sources of capital on the coast um, that oftentimes don't find their ways to those really compelling businesses that could help them grow. And I know it's you and I have talked about this. It's not merely a lack of capital, but there's certainly a misalignment of capital, I believe, in ways that those private, or those public dollars, rather, uh, can be better leveraged uh, with Private
0: investment Yeah, this is such a rich topic of conversation. I think because um, Terra's Way is a good example of a project that I I r- raised a lot of money um, mm-hmm. to to start that business, and virtually none of it was public. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you would consider a TIF district, which is um, the municipality had set it up to to provide. Um, already improved sites for businesses like mine to come in to the community. So that's a, that's a public program. It's not a federal program. It's a local one. But that that was really the only public money. But it did make a significant difference, even if it was a small portion of the whole total project. Right. No, right. that's important. Yeah. Uh,
1: it, yeah, it was interesting to think about, and you and I have talked about, Tara's and frankly I've been inspired by Your story.
0: Well, Um, good. I hope (laughs) other people can be inspired by it, too.
1: And the the amazing, um, uh, whether it's a triangle or a trapezoid area Mm -hmm. between uh, places all over the country that are like um, Reedsburg, which sits between
0: Minneapolis
1: and Madison and Milwaukee and Chicago and those uh, urban centers. Uh, And you told me about the the interstates that you're uh, tears away and that plant is nearby mm-hmm. uh, can get you to those places quickly. So the most dynamic areas where I think you see that those private dollars really making a difference are where you see that urban-rural connection. Uh, and, and then there are other places. In, in in law school, I spent a summer in Forest County uh, at the or in Mole Lake, uh, living uh, on the reservation of the uh Mole Lake Band of the Chippewa, and the further you are away from those urban centers, where those rural enterprises can can benefit from the um, expanding markets, just the tougher it is for for uh, mere private dollars, I think, to get you there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean. It's interesting because I now work with so many people who um, have started businesses, probably inspired anyway, by the local food movement. Mm -hmm. And what they quickly discover is they need way more people to buy their product than they ever thought they did. Um, so even a city of Ma- like Madison, which is very committed to local food, and we have about a half a million people in our M- in Madison in the metro area now, maybe a bit more, and that's still not really enough to support a brand. Um, and yeah. that is kind of shocking to people. Well, so
1: in, in knowing your story a bit and uh, thinking about some of the work that I'm currently doing at launching mm-hmm. something called the Rural Opportunity Investment at Georgetown University's Business School, it might be enough to support uh, an individual farmer and her family right, on a farm. That, mm-hmm. And that's in and of itself uh, um, that is laudable. It keeps a family on a farm or it keeps a small business going. But to really move that business, that enterprise, whether it's an, uh, a farm or a business to where it's not just supporting that family but it's actually creating jobs like uh, your plant did, that's, that's the real uh, key that we're trying to explore here. And I know that you and I have talked about, and you're trying to explore, what's the difference of the businesses that can make you know, 250000 bucks annually in revenue? And a lot of folks can do that and keep themselves going, but that doesn't give you a lot of protection uh, or defense for when, as you talked about uh, earlier before we started recording, when it's a tough year uh, for agriculture or it's a tough year for the economy. Um, how do you graduate those businesses up to where there's, a million bucks annually, um, what's right. the difference? In, in, and, again, what's the nexus of private investment and public investment, and where do you focus?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think uh, uh, there's an um, interesting issue here, which is um, when when I train people on how to package capital for food and value-added ag businesses, um, so I'm training consultants who are going to help people package financing, and... Um, the big issue that I always have with public money is that you don't know when it's going to come. Right. And so even you can get grants, um, um, but, but, and they're supposed to come at a certain time, but then the funds are delayed. And it, it, for, for some, like in the case of Terra's way, I had, power company money. I had SBA guarantees. I had a F- SBA 504, which is a bond issue. I had private investor money and all of that had to close on the same day, right? So yep. the The practical problem with packaging in public money in these projects is that you can not guarantee that that money will be there on that day.
1: No, that's the most, uh, one of the most Frustrating parts. Of, uh, it reminds me of a, one of the programs that um, I ran and was inspired me most while at the USU, and something you know well of, which is the value-added producer grant program I used to run. And it that that program took me uh, back to Wisconsin uh, hmm. a couple times to highlight some of the businesses there, um, uh, in and around Madison. Anyway, there's a bunch of businesses that have really taken those dollars, and, and it's I think government in large part at its best because it's a grant that's going to a uh, grower or producer. Um, but they got to match it, right? So it's not just free money. They have to uh, match it with whatever it is. Uh, and it, it is not to help you grow uh, your hops, as in the case of Autumn Moon uh, Farm in Belleville or uh, your vegetables. I visited a guy named Tim Zander um, in Columbus. It's how to then do the business side of it, money that can help you uh, develop your business plan, your marketing. Um, and it's, it's really great. The problem is is that um, uh, you don't know, to your point, um, when the agency or when Congress will release those funds. And you don't know this year whether Congress will fund it. And right. so you're exactly right that if you hit pay dirt, if it actually works out and you go through the process of getting it and it times out for you, it can be really a, a, uh, um, a great program but it can, I've just watched farmers and other business owners uh, deal with the frustration of dealing with, yep. and it's part of the. It, frankly, it's part of what I'm working on now. In the interim, uh, we have transitions of politics in Washington that we've been doing that for hundreds of years. So we're certainly above that and can deal with that. One of the hopes I had um, as I left in January as an appointee to uh, of President Obama and saw the Trump administration coming in, was I was excited to see um, President Trump's um, what I thought was a commitment to uh, rural infrastructure and rural communities. And, unfortunately, uh, you've had um, uh, at least budgets put forward by the president uh, in his first six months that have um, tried to uh, walk away or zero out these type of programs. So you have folks, consultants, state offices, local folks on the ground, who are in this rhythm of trying to run these programs, and then um, the new team comes to town, and uh, they're going to have different ideas how to do things. But to, uh, as the Trump administration then proposed, zeroing out uh, rural business programs like the VAPG program, that 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 just sends shockwaves uh, through um, the economy, in large part in rural economies. Um, and and what the the irony is particularly for um, folks that are farmers or in agriculture, they don't plan on, on a quarterly basis, right? They, they do year plans or multi-year plans. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, so when you change things uh, and they've already been planning for a year, boy, it really uh, gums up the work.
0: Yeah, it's really hard. I, I It is an interesting thing about anything related to agriculture because – and this does get back to money and agriculture because when money from the coast looks for deals, right, part of the difficulty they have with agriculture is is they want things to be able to you know make an investment and see the business accelerate really fast, right? They're looking for sure. hockey stick kind of stuff. And agriculture, like it or not, is still a biological system for the most part, and you can't do that. And so... 've see, I've seen um, money come in and, and make those kinds of investments in companies that that are are quite impressive actually, but they they after about a year and a half, they start getting the the investors start getting more realistic as the best way to describe it about how long it's going to take to actually achieve this you know the the scaling up of the business
1: Yeah, and I listened to your podcast. Um, with a gentleman from Badgerland Financial, oh yeah, here. yeah, 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 uh, Paul and, and So there, you can uh, listen to a, um, a person who uh, represents a really a uh, ag lender, and they get it right. And so totally. that's what we're trying to do with um, uh, the Rural Opportunity Initiative um, at Georgetown University. It's a, a kind of a national focus, bringing together uh, national regional and local um capital uh sources mm-hmm. uh and bringing and creating a conversation with folks not just within the in this first year we're focusing on ag's impact on the rural economy mm-hmm. and not agriculture alone, ag related businesses. So Terra's way would certainly fall into that. Mm-hmm. And trying to not just bring those uh, you know pipeline of potential rural businesses together with uh the capital sources, but educating those capital sources exactly on what you're talking about, on the nature of rural businesses and agriculture uh, um, enterprises,
0: um, right? And and how they how an investment like that would fit into their investment portfolio. So it's funny that you're you're saying this because I I on on um, on Friday I um, was recognized by the board of regents for the work that the Food and Finance Institute is doing here at the university and. One of the things I told the Board of Regents was that this year I have a goal of doing the Capital Cultivation Roadshow across the state. And and why I need to do that is we have angel groups all over the state, and there's an effort to aggregate them into kind of one slightly more coordinated body. Um, But those, the people who participate in those are all accredited investors. They've typically made their money in something other than agriculture and food, right? So, yep. software, medical devices, something like that. And investors tend to invest in things they feel comfortable with. They understand the business model. And so, we don't get a lot of money out of those more formal networks in the state into ag and food because they don't understand it. So, yeah. Uh, how to make money at it, right? And so, Tara's FFI Roadshow is going to just be <laughs> <laughs> education for investors about how you make money, what to look for, how you do uh, due diligence in a food and value-added ag company.
1: Well, that's great to know. Maybe we we have our our partnering right now uh, with three land grant partners. Uh, it's it's a, an interesting uh, venture at Georgetown University's Business School, which is a premier uh, business school uh, in the nation, but. It certainly doesn't have deep rural credibility. No. So we've partnered with we have uh, three partner institutions, um, Iowa State, Mississippi State, and Purdue University, and mm-hmm. USDA's um, National Institute for Food and Agriculture, kind of our core team. Uh, and so we will be working closely um, uh, with our uh, land-grant partners uh, as we do this uh, focusing and modeling some of the things that I'm talking about, and it sounds like you're doing, so we need to keep in touch about that we definitely
0: do because that because both iowa state and purdue are um i'm going to be training some of their staff actually on the um the the food finance training to help to help the staff understand what how to look for you know how to how to consult with the value-added um ag enterprises about money right because they're kind of Two sides of this, right? the The businesses have to be ready to and credible asking for money, and then the money has to understand the opportunity.
1: That's exactly right. one of the. Uh, I guess on top of that, and, and you're focused more on the um, ag-related businesses. I think, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that might be an easier sweet spot to avoid what we've uh, seen in the past, and what we're trying to avoid with this initiative at Georgetown, which is. Capital, as you told me when we met um, in, in at, at FOSBOT, said, hey, if capital will find a, uh, a, a place if the uh, uh, enterprise can promise an investor return. And that's happened certainly in commodity agriculture for years. Um, um, large-scale commodity agriculture has not uh, had a problem finding capital. And so what we're trying to focus on with the Rural Opportunity Initiative Um, with our partners, uh, our our land-grant partners, is not only where there's investor return for that uh, investor, but that there's also a return for the community. Mm -hmm. One of the, uh, at least the narrative we've heard too often, is that, sure, um, large-scale agriculture has been able over the last 30 years, and this is a generalization, but uh, produce a lot of returns for investors um, uh, in large cities on the coast, Um, but hasn't necessarily kept the wealth in those communities. And so what we're trying to think about and explore, and I think you've already tapped into this, what are those rural ag or ag-related businesses that are both providing that investor return so that the private capital uh, has a pipeline of deals to find, but also that doesn't suck that wealth out but keeps that wealth in the community? I think those are our target businesses.
0: Right and and I, it, this is such a a, a challenge to um, to get your, to get your head around because going back to that community where I spoke, um, and the woman said, what you know what should we do? Our town is dying. Um, when I got to that town, um, normally when I speak, I I don't write down or print out where I'm going because I can mm-hmm. always get it on my phone, right. So I get to the town and I get I go downtown and pretty much everything is boarded up and I look at my phone and I don't have I can't get data on my phone. Hmm. And so then when I spoke I said, you know, you need data here. I mean, it's kind of like Without that, you're, you're dead as a town, right? And what was interesting is that in that particular instance, there's one person... I mean, there there are a bunch of people who care a lot about their town. There's a new school superintendent there, relatively new. In rural, in rural Wisconsin, it, he's been there for three years. He's new, right? <laughs> you have to be there for three generations to not be new. Um, but anyway, he, he's brought a lot of... Um, Energy to the to the situation and is um, using the school as the primary vehicle to get broadband into the town. But
1: well, I mean, yeah, and and you're hitting on something that is a bigger nut to crack for rural communities. Is that right now, if you talk to um, rural entrepreneurs, um, one of you know, capital may not be in some cases the biggest problem they have. Oftentimes, it's labor right?
0: Totally they need people, labor. Uh,
1: they can, they can work those jobs that they would like to bring. And the problem is, is if you don't have uh broadband in an area, um, you're not going to have great hospitals. You're not going to have great schools and you're not going to have young people want to move back there. Right, And so um, it's, there's, there's so many different layers to crack here, but I think you're right. Um, and um, to bring it back to the politics of the day, since I am sitting here in Washington, one of the Frustrating parts that um, the, uh, um, the current administration's budget for uh, the broadband programs that Rural Development uh, has proposed uh, um, uh, not growing those programs. Um, we've so there's th- that on on broadband um, as as the uh, USDA did back in the 30s under FDR. It, it it saw its role for rural communities. It needed to bring those rural communities uh, into the 20th century and electrify those communities. Right. So there was great public investment uh, in cooperation with rural electric cooperatives to get electricity strung all over the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a similar vein, this is the type of commitment. This is where, in my opinion, there's a real, um, uh, with some private, par- uh, private partnership, but this is mm-hmm. where public dollars have to step up because the job is just too big and it's not there to be, and it won't work if it's spotty not to have great broadband coverage
0: all over. Right, and a country. lot of, and and actually it's all related, right, because a lot of these rural communities have have um, rural electrical co-ops. Their utilities are co-ops that are very small, that were set up at that time, right, um, to yes. solve the problem of getting how we, how can we get electricity to people who live in rural communities. And so that's the infrastructure, and they're facing the same, those those utilities are facing the same issue. It isn't that they don't want to do it. It's that it costs too much and there are too few people for them to make it viable.
1: That's it. That's exactly right. And probably even more today where you've had out-migration from rural communities. So right. There are fewer ratepayers in a lot of places, so it's right. even tougher.
0: So in, in a, when I cited Terra's Way, it turned out that um, Reedsburg, which is also, is about a town that's probably about similar size to Stoughton, mm-hmm. um, so it's big enough to have some manufacturing there, and definitely an um, agricultural, you know, food base there in their economy, but um, Land's End about ten years before, had located, had agreed to locate a distribution center there if the city put it in, broadband in, because they're a, they, you know, they were a catalog now online retailer, right? They can't function without broadband, and so the city did that. Um, and I don't even know how they managed to do it, but they did it, and because of that, when I was looking at citing. My plant, I you know, Reedsburg had had high speed internet. It to every home in the town. It was amazing. Never mind the businesses. It was very foresighted on their part. You know.
1: And so, uh, Reedsburg. Uh, I'd love to know the story of where how they were able to pull it off. Yeah,
0: I you uh, know, what? and I I talk when I travel around the state. I talk about Reedsburg because. Um, part part of what was so impressive about Reedsburg is that when I put out to, you know, like a five-county region um, in southwestern Wisconsin to the economic development people that I was looking to site a plant, I knew very well what my wastewater requirements and land requirements, mm-hmm. all those things were. Reedsburg got back to me in two days with a full packet, a complete researched response on the BOD loads and the ability of their wastewater treatment system to handle them. I mean, it was incredibly impressive, and that makes an enormous difference.
1: Yeah, and and I think it, um, it, we've talked about all of the ways all this is interconnected. Um, The the Riesberg has the benefit of um, uh, having a, Bit larger of a population, I think. What is it, twelve thousand ish people?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: And it's uh, within an hour to Madison, and so I I suspect the
0: and uh, right off of thirty nine.
1: Right. Yeah. So I and so I so I suspect the um, savvy of some of the folks in Reedsburg are able to quickly process that plus the drive, which is something. want to bottle up anytime you see it Mm -hmm. but the ability to have uh, folks there who are big enough to support folks to say let's move on this now and a lot of it's often to get it done for you it's that drive plus the necessary um uh savvy to get all everything in order because that community understood that you were on a tight timeline i suspect you you need to move that's why you couldn't use a lot of uh, public dollars you need to move quickly, like most business people.
0: Right, right. They and they really got that. It, and so when when I talk to people around the state, I think, I think smaller communities um, don't respond to things like that because they feel like, oh God, these bigger you know bigger towns are going to respond. We'll never be competitive. I I only had two responses. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of astonishing, and and my wastewater load was pretty high, so that would um, disqualify quite a few communities. But it it was it was surprising to me that I didn't get more responses, and I think part of the part of that is because rural communities aren't organized enough to respond, if that makes sense. Sure. And then sure. sometimes the community itself will say, well, they ED people in our county, they don't tell us, and, you know, who knows. Um, but but I, think there, I think there are lots of, of levels to um, answering the, the uh, l- lots of levels to this issue of how do you bring economic development to rural communities that are clearly suffering right now.
1: Yep, I agree.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, your your new initiative at at Georgetown, um, are you? Uh, is your focus to bring people together to create a fund? What What's the focus?
1: You know, we've just launched it in the last couple months, and so uh, there's a there's a DC focus, which is uh, having the benefit of being in uh, Washington and having the. Um, uh, all of the policy stakeholders in the city that are here tapping into that while we are partnering with our land grant. So, in part, there's a convening uh, uh, purpose of what we're able to do uh, at Georgetown University. But there's two other uh, uh, important uh, components of the initiative. One uh, is to uh, raise a fund, initially our hope is to be able to uh, raise a fund that supports graduating m b a students uh from georgetown and uh our partner uh land grant partners that are able to then um, it would be a competitive process where our uh, a applicant are uh, in a in a competition each year um a graduating m b a student is able to present a business plan that would uh be for a rural based business and that we'd be able to with the funds we raise Support that entrepreneur for a year, uh, trying to get that business off the ground. And so, I think some of the be- biggest assets we have are the students um, here at Georgetown, uh, at Purdue, Iowa State, uh, uh, Mississippi State. Um, so that's one. There's another portion. We are will be doing some field uh, symposiums, um, partnering with those land grant partners for the initial year, and then going out, going out, uh, and recognizing that. What Georgetown can do is it can bring a lot of those entrepreneurs, pardon me, the those sources of capital, kind of the national and regional sources of capital, can bring in uh, um, to, in, in the case of Iowa State, for instance, can bring in to places like Ames, Iowa, using partners like Iowa State uh, Extension Service there, uh, collaborating with uh, the Farm Bureau and other organizations can bring together Iowa entrepreneurs who are that kind of mezzanine level uh, businesses, who are at the 250,000 uh, dollar revenue level, but who have that hunger, appetite to grow, and that convening uh, has the potential to do a couple things: connect those folks with capital sources that they may not know about. And one of the problems with rural is that um, rural opportunities that um, there aren't as many sources of capital, and so while you might be able to access it. It will be more expensive. Uh, there are advantages um, urban businesses and entrepreneurs have. they are just a lot more sources of capital around, and so you can uh, compete those sources of capital off each other. So the uh, regional symposiums or the workshops um, will be, A, to bring those sources of capital and entrepreneurs together. Uh, two, as we talked about this before, will be to educate those regional and national sources of capital about the unique challenges and opportunities uh for rural businesses, and then finally um it's and this is where um uh, work that you're doing it's uh it's it it is not just capital right it's not just the lack of capital, it's the um planning or the business planning that uh, those um, rural entrepreneurs may need to really up their game and the mm-hmm. ability for georgetown uh business school to work through, with its land grant partners. In a uh, certificate program that can bring some of Georgetown's uh, um, really great training to some of those businesses, uh, that's our goal anyway. and So that's where we're
0: uh, charging ahead to plan with. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you guys get to collaborate with what I'm doing at Food Finance Institute. <laughs> Sounds right. We're no, seriously. On. I mean, I, I it's um, it's in a lot of a lot of ways. It's very similar to what we're trying to accomplish. Um, here, I'm not trying to raise a fund because um, I, I really do believe that there's actually money is not actually the problem. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it is—it's always a problem to a certain extent, but but it's the the harder issue for me as I work with people right now is seeing um, it, helping them get their business to a place where it would be attractive for an investor, right? right. And and the ag lenders. Are here and they have money and they want to. I, I, you know, I can't guarantee this all over the country, but I know our farm credit around here and FSA around here. Um, they, they, they are hungry to lend. They wish there were more um, um deals that were attractive, right? Um, so, and I, my suspicion is that you'll find that around the country. Um, uh,
1: no, I think that's right. I, I, I think that's right. I think there's. But there's
0: the that equity piece is hard, 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 hard. Yeah. One of
1: the ways that um, uh, one of the smaller programs I was able to uh, meet at USDA was something called the Rural Business uh, Investment Program, which is a small program. But what it's done is it's uh, helped capitalize um, venture capital funds. That um, the uh, stipulation is with the USDA license. Mm-hmm. what they 're able to do then is they uh, commit to making at least half of that fund investment that equity fund investments that venture capital fund investments into uh rural small businesses and so you've uh, seen a development of funds that are uniquely focused on rural uh businesses and each fund has a bit of a uh, unique um, focus to it. There's one um, uh, out of Memphis, which has a focus more on um, uh, uh, ag tech. There's another um, uh, Advantage Capital that's based uh, uh, nationally, but done some work on the um, East Coast, which is really looking on value-added agriculture. They
0: actually have an office in Madison.
1: Oh, do they? Yeah. Great. And so that that's a fund, for instance, that um, what they were able to do and the advantage of it is, is, and, and I guess... The first question I would ask is, why would I need a USDA license to go, um, um, if I think that there's a uh, uh, return to be made by investing in rural businesses, why would I want need, need to go through a process of getting a USDA license to do that? Well, the advantage is, is that if you are a licensed RBIC, uh rural business investment company, then you have access, one, uh, to the farm credit system banks, which normally can only they're only involved in uh, um, uh debt financing and not equity financing. So it's the only way that farm credit system uh banks can um, uh, invest money in equity investments. So that's number 1. They tap into a source of capital that uh, otherwise is not in the game. And number 2, uh um folks that uh, are investing in these venture capital funds receive uh CRA credit in doing so. And so through the license, they're able to raise money in ways that other uh, funds can't. And the stipulation then is they have to uh, commit a substantial portion of their investments to rural businesses. So we're excited to see that program grow, and it was growing as I left in January, and I hope it continues to grow.
0: Is that is that a a program that is at risk right now, or it's, or
1: to my knowledge, it's not at risk. And one of the reasons it's not at risk is it doesn't uh... Um, cost anything. Uh, it, it it is. There, there is no leverage. There is a similar program out of SBA, almost. Uh, in fact, um, very similar. Just, just doesn't have the rural focus. It's the uh, there are S-bics, so mm. small business investment companies. in out of the SBA, those funds are leveraged. That means you actually the SBA uh, um, leverages those funds with with actual funding. Mm. In this mm-hmm. case, uh, the r are non-leveraged. So all you get is that license, but it uh, lets you tap into untapped
0: um uh, fun right and and those those like farm credit um people who work you know like Paul Dittman who you listen to yeah. uh, on our podcast they understand the capital requirements of ag businesses and way better than your average investor or your average underwriter who's not used to doing agriculture so getting access to those people will bring expertise to that investment as well.
1: Couldn't agree more. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. So I I think that um another dimension to this that that um I have found is is there is um when when people from urban areas um try to do entrepreneurial things for rural communities. Um, they don't actually really, they, they didn't grow up on a farm. They don't really know, th- you know, like what what are the problems that a dairy grazer has, for example, mm-hmm. that technology could actually solve. They don't, They you know, they're, they're just not aware of what those issues might be. And so what do you think about that?
1: I will say that if uh, um, if you're talking to, business school students, right, that are um, specifically looking uh, to um, really try and develop a, uh, um, a proposal, a business plan uh, that they could make happen in rural America, oftentimes those kids who are the business school kids are coming from rural America. Mm-hmm. So it, not always, right, but, but let's not, let's not uh, forget that you could have business school kids that are from rural America and 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 the types of kids that would want to um uh really think about the type of ent- uh, enterprise that they could run they're more likely uh to be the rural kids at business school than the urban kids because they do get it. I do think that the um there there are uh, the, the new and beginning farmer programs that have been really incentivizing uh, um, younger folks to return to uh um uh, rural america or folks that weren't from rural mm-hmm. to move to rural um uh to create kind of businesses and live out a way of life uh that, that they really can find in rural america i think that's happening uh it's got to um invest in those communities so that it can happen more because those communities have broadband good hospitals, right. good schools because those are young people want to go back but they also want to have uh, families and they want to mm-hmm. have good schools and hospitals and things to do and be able to surf the Internet at home without a great, uh, without dialing
0: up. hmm. I think the other opportunity we have is, I think you and I talked about this before, that there are, like Terra's Way is a good example of a business that really needed to be in a rural area because mm-hmm. – um, trucks needed to be able to come in to the facility and i needed a, a lot of space for big you know tanker trucks to come in and pull into a loading station and then turn around and leave and that's not something that happens well in an urban area right um it, that's just one level of practicalness about it um an, a, another is when like warehouse space um you know you need cheap Per square foot, um, lease, leases for warehouse space, right? Five dollars sure. a square foot or something. So when people talk uh, about, well, we're going to have a food hub and we're going to put it in a, in an urban area, they there's no place for trucks. There's no place, and the the you know the the leases twelve dollars a square foot or t- fifteen, sure. right? It's not practical for the business. It's a bad business decision to put it there. And I, th- I don't think people get their heads around these issues, because if they did, they the f- you know, you're starting a food hub or a distributor business or something, you would put it in a rural area in a heartbeat, right? Yeah, and I
1: think there I really strongly agree with you, which is um, there are a lot of uh, idealistic folks that want to tap into the um, local and regional food movement. Some of them are urban-based, uh, and so... Um, there's uh, folks that are business-oriented like you, you get the importance of that rural-urban link. Mm -hmm. Uh, Folks that really have a a philosophical connection to it but not a business understanding of it, Mm -hmm. uh, they need to uh, perhaps, uh, we got to figure out ways so the the urban entrepreneur who wants to help expand the uh, local foods in the urban area Really um, uh, has the a strong understanding of the rural dynamics and, and where there's opportunity there.
0: Right. Yeah. So I can, from my vantage point, I can I sort of see both sides, and I'm. Um, I think that there's there's a lot of potential to um, to grow innovative things in rural communities, and I think um, it's going to take the energy and creativity of people like you um, working in places like Georgetown to help make that happen here. And we also got to do it ourselves here, you know?
1: Couldn't agree more. Yeah, it uh, helps getting out of our, uh, all of our respective bubbles.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, we've covered a ton of ground here. Is there anything else you can think of that you think our listeners might be interested in learning about?
1: No, thank you so much for the time. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been great, and I love what Edible Owl is doing, so please keep it up.
0: Tara, All right. thanks
1: a lot. Zach, thank you to you, too. You've been uh, silent there, but it's been you guys have made it super easy. So
0: yeah, it's it's great. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us, and I'm sure we're going to be talking in the future.
1: I'll see you at Thought Dolls in the next couple of months.
0: Absolutely. You let me know when you're coming down. Bye, Tara. All right, bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.